Welcome to the Writing Block Podcast, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. Today we're going to talk with a couple of industry professionals about what goes on behind the scenes. I'm Jackie Castle, and I'm hosting today with Carrie Dubiel, who is an author as well as a librarian, and we're happy to be joined by guest Marsha Freeman. How's everyone doing today? Very good and happy to be here. Hanging in there. Well, Marsha, why don't you tell our guests a little bit about yourself? Okie dokie. I'm Marsha Freeman, as uh, you said, and I am married to Brian Freeman, who is a New York Times bestselling author. We live in Minnesota, and he is probably most uh, well known for his Jonathan Stride series, which is set up in the Duluth area, but he's also branched out quite a bit in the last couple of years. He has another series, the Frost Easton uh, series, which is set out in the San Francisco Bay Area. And he has roots both here in the Midwest and family out on the West Coast. And so that's why he's chosen um, those areas to focus on. He's probably best known for his You Are There kind of a feel for his books because he he really relies heavily on um, his outdoor settings and his powers of description. So readers will often tell him, wow, you know, your descriptions are great. And that's exactly what he is going for. Um, He's been publishing professionally. His first book uh, first came out in 2005. And we always get a little bit caught off guard when people ask how many books he's got out in print because he's (laughs) got a number of different short stories, things like that. But pretty much um, between uh, 15 and 20 books now in print. Uh, Yep. Sold in 40 plus countries and 20 plus languages. So kind of an international um, best-selling author. Uh, A few years ago, um, we talked about how we could add to what he was already doing with marketing. And so we launched me as the author's wife because people would always say, well, you know, who are you? And it's like, I'm Marsha Freeman. I'm the author's wife. So um, I maintain um, a Facebook page, The Author's Wife, where I talk a little bit more about the behind the scenes fun stuff that we do. So it's kind of fun to to interact with his readers and fans that way. I also am behind the scenes setting up his um, appearance schedule with various librarians and the publishers. And uh, I'm also his first advanced reader. And so I help him with the editing process and we kind of work on it as a team together so um so yeah so when you guys asked me to be a part of a conversation with you jumped at the opportunity to do so (laughs) so so very happy to be here with you we're so happy to have you i know that when we first scheduled this episode we were intending to talk about live events but obviously the world has been rocked a little bit by the coronavirus um and so we've thought that we might change what we're doing here and how we're going at this episode and talk a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes and any advice that you have. We know that uh, COVID-19 has greatly impacted the author community and live events such as book launches and conferences are being canceled left and right. Have you and Brian had to alter your plans for the next few months? And what has that looked like for you? Well, uh, to say alter is kind of an understatement, but yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Brian's writing schedule is such that he is basically uh, releasing two to three books a year at this point. And so obviously he spends a lot of time writing, but obviously you also have to get out and meet uh, the readers, which is always a a fun part of it. And we actually, between uh, the beginning of January and mid-May, had approximately 25 events scheduled. And I think two of them went forward, two or three of them went forward, and the rest have all had to be uh, canceled and hopefully just postponed as opposed to canceled. But, you know, obviously we need to kind of wait and see. So now the the good part for us is that he can spend all of his days writing, you know, and it doesn't break up his his flow, which is really kind of nice. But the bad part is, you know, it means that readers are out there disappointed, not having an opportunity to hear him speak, not having an opportunity to purchase the books um, and have them signed personally. So there's a little bit of a disappointment um, on their part little bit of a disappointment on our part too just because we don't get to get out there and meet the people you know and and that's a big part of it is uh writing is such a 
solitary thing. And, you know, you probably know this, you know, just as well, Jackie, that, um, you know, writing is you've got to focus, you're in there, it's you and your computer, but you're doing it for other people to enjoy as well. And so you're kind of missing that, that really important piece of that interaction with the people who read your work and have an opportunity to give you feedback and discuss it with you. So, so that's kind of a little bit of a disappointment for us. But again, you know, as with so many things with this, we're looking at it as a, as a, I'm sorry, a, um, um, a postponement, not an actual cancellation, but it's a lot of work to uh, reschedule things as you guys probably well know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I will say my library events have all been in turmoil we we haven't really decided about rescheduling things yet because we really don't know when we will reopen so i'm hesitant to put dates on the calendar if we think that we might be closed for an extended period yeah that's you know actually brian um out on his website just put all of them you know postponed to be uh, rescheduled. And we mm-hmm. just, we just, you know, reached out to all the librarians, just said, you know what, we're not going to go ahead and reschedule anything yet until we're really all given the go ahead to know that it's safe for us to be out and about and that it's safe for the librarians and booksellers to be out and about and that it's safe for the attendees to be out and about. You know, I mean, it started out with no, no gatherings, you know, 250 or more, and then it went down to 50 or more. And now it's, then it went down to 10 or more. And now we're all kind of, you know, in our own homes Mm -hmm. being told kind of stay in place. And who knows, you know, I mean, we all hear the rumors that yes, you know, this will be lifted on this date or that date or that date. But again, uh, just as Carrie says, you don't want to schedule it and then have to reschedule it and then have to reschedule it again. It's And people understand, which is really mm-hmm. good, but it's it's hard. It's hard, you know, and that not knowing, it's frustrating. Yeah. It just seems weird because Jackie and I were just at PLA a month ago and the virus was just kind of this thing that was happening in another country and that we were keeping tabs on it, but we weren't, we weren't too worried about it yet. And then now we're all stuck in our houses, talking to each other on zoom, even (laughs) if the people are our neighbors. (laughs) Isn't that true? Yeah. Now, did I hear correctly that ALA is canceled this year? It is. Yeah. Which is funny because sisters in crime. So I know that you both know what Sisters in Crime is, but for our listeners, I'm a, I was the library liaison to Sisters in Crime, which is a national group of mystery writers and readers. And our booth at PLA was to be our only booth this year. Our ALA booth had to be canceled due to budget cuts. And we were very disappointed, but we're, now I'm starting to think, oh good, now we don't have to cancel it because <laughs> it was hard <laughs> canceled it seems so strange that and book expo and malice domestic mm-hmm. i think they just made Worldcon totally virtual yeah which is a trip wow now as has book expo actually been canceled or just postponed i think at this point it's still just postponed okay because it seems to me I saw that it's late July now. That's the last thing I believe I saw. I'm getting them all mixed up. I know that Malice Domestic was supposed to be postponed, and I believe now it's canceled. It's it's just crazy. There's my life feels like it's completely turned around. Like like I'm in the upside down world. You know, it's really interesting because that's one of the things that we have heard from a lot of readers who are saying, you know, I'm stuck at home. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm 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 working as best I can. I need some sort of an escape and you know what? I'm glad I can turn to books. And Mm -hmm. I can just lose myself in a book for a while. It's amazing the number of people we have heard from who have said that very thing that, you know what, it's helping to keep them grounded. And I think that's one of the things that's really important for everybody at this point is to figure out what works for them to help ground them on a day-to-day basis to keep them going forward. You know, it's it's amazing. I mean, it, it sounds odd to say, but as an author, (laughs) the one benefit is people are thinking, what can I read now? 
And, you know, as, as you guys, I know, are well aware, reading is still one of those word of mouth kinds of businesses where what are you reading? What are you reading? Mm -hmm. And people talk about their books and they say, try this author, try that author. And I think that's wonderful. And we're hearing from people, you know, all over the world, honestly, who are saying, wow, so-and-so just recommended your book to me, picked it up, loved it. What else have you got available? That's great. Yeah. And I think- yeah, it is. It's wonderful. And it, it it does kind of feel like, okay, we're all kind of having one big global book club going on here. <laughs> but, you know, if it helps, that's great. Um, I, I will say, in all honesty, I feel very sad for authors who have books that are coming out in the next few weeks. Me too. Yes. Especially debuts. <sighs> oh, I I can't even imagine how horrible they must feel. There is one author that I've been following her since her book, since her announcement in Publishers Lunch. I just thought her book sounded so cool. Her name's Diana Urban, and her book came out last week or the week before, I think. I read, I had an advanced reader, so I can never remember what the actual dates are. <laughs> but she was just, she is so fun and enthusiastic and constantly tweeting about how excited she is. So I was so bummed to see this happen to her right in the middle of everything. So if, if I can give a commercial for someone, Diana Urban, all your twisted secrets, it's a YA. If you can spare the cash to buy it from your local bookstore. You know, the, the, the funny thing about it is, and I, I hate to say it this way because yes, I, we love the independent booksellers. Uh, they're wonderful. Unfortunately, a lot of them are closed right now. So yes, go ahead and buy a a gift card from your local Mm -hmm. bookseller. But one advantage that authors have now too, though, is you can get on online in most cases and you can get an ebook or an audio book version. Often the ebook you know, it's not gonna it, it's not gonna give the author quite as much in the way of royalties, but it is a way for the author to get book sales out there. You know, readers don't have to leave their homes to get them. You know, so there's an there there is something that that authors can do. It takes a lot of effort, but it can be done. And that is one of the things that the internet is helping authors do is reach readers. But you've got to put the effort forth to do it. Right. Um, right. And so, yeah, so like with with Diane, I would say, you know, anything you can do to encourage her to get online, to do Facebook posts, you know, Twitter stuff, Instagram, you know, that's how she's going to start reaching her people. Oh, yeah. She's I actually don't even know her personally. I've just been following her. on Twitter. <laughs> I know I, I do know a lot of authors personally, so yeah. it can be confusing. But <laughs> with her, I just followed her on Twitter and I just thought her you know, she was just so excited. And I, I was so bummed to see that that happened to her. And I know there are others, other writers that no one in my sisters in crime group is debuting. Everyone's kind of established. Okay. So and I don't know anyone personally who's being affected too much. But just from all the authors I see on Twitter, it's kind of sad. And I have another pseudo friend that I met on Twitter who wrote a book about a pandemic that came out in January. Oh my. <laughs> and I felt so bad for him. He got like a, a nasty gram from someone saying, how could you possibly write something like this? And he's like, um, I've been writing this for a while. <laughs> like we don't just pump out a book in, you know, five minutes. Isn't that funny though, how people don't realize how long it takes from the, the, the time you start a book to the time it actually, you know, is available in print or, or ebook or audiobook. I mean, it used to be, you know, anywhere from twelve to eighteen months. Granted, now it's, you know, a whole lot shorter, but wow, it you know, yeah, people who think, yeah, you know, did you just write that last week? And hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah, <that's> funny. <laughs> it's true. The other thing I would jump in uh, with is if you have a if you know a debut author or even just an indie author who you want to support and you don't want an ebook and your bookstores are closed, you might consider just reaching out directly to the author um, because they may be sitting on you know a hundred copies of their own book in their closet and are willing to ship you a copy right now. I mean, it might make their day. 
That is a great idea, you know, because you can put a shop now link on your Facebook page or, mm-hmm. you know, something on Twitter, put it on a website. You know, if they do emails, that's a great way to do it as well. I mean, we get requests all the time from people who say, you know what, how can I get a signed copy? I don't live near any place you're going to be. And we say, you know what, send us a check. We're happy to to turn it around and, and send one off to you. And and people still like those signed copies of books. So yeah, oh, yeah. great idea. I've sold many just over social media with Venmo or PayPal yep. um, or Cash App. Yep. You know, it makes it very easy these days. I love that. So this is a good point when you talked about um, engaging with your audience on Facebook or Twitter. Have you or Brian discovered any new or interesting ways to engage with your audience during this? Or have you been brainstorming about what you might do in the next couple of months? The in- yeah, the interesting thing is for us, we actually made a conscious decision oh, easily five years or more ago that unfortunately, as more and more bookstores were closing, you know, people were turning to the internet more and more. And so we've started to make a conscious decision to get more active online and to interact more directly with readers. And so we developed, you know, an email list. Brian maintains his personal Facebook page. Um, He also has, you know, a professional author page. I do the same thing. And so really, you know, we've created direct relationships with readers. And I can't stress enough how important that is. And so I think that's really kind of helped us kind of ride a lot of the waves of the publishing business over the last 15 years. I mean, basically, when Brian's first book, Immoral, came out back in 2005, you know, uh, social media barely even existed at that point in time. Right. And it has just taken off. The thing that that we laugh about most is as soon as you think you have something figured out, it changes. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I mean, we all look at the way Facebook changes. It seems like daily what worked yesterday doesn't work today and won't work tomorrow. And so mm-hmm. I think the challenge is to try to stay a little bit ahead of the game. But, you know, that's tricky when you're when you're doing other things, too. And I think, you know, a lot of authors who have regular daytime jobs don't have the same amount of time to devote to writing and marketing. And that's really difficult. And I think that now what we're seeing a lot more of is these virtual book clubs, things like uh, Zoom is huge right now. And we're just starting to get into that as well. Facebook Live, you know, they they were doing that for a while. You don't see seem to see quite as much of that, you know, Zencaster, what you guys are using for this, you know, and that's kind of the next thing that we're kind of looking toward is, okay, how can we create these group meetings? And, you know, so I think kind of that's going to be the next big thing for us to look at and for, you know, authors, I would suggest to look at. Again, I'm sure that's what you're going to see with some of the distance learning that we were talking about a little bit earlier before um, you started the recording. I think it's just kind of trying different things, trying to figure out what will work, letting go of the things that don't work. Um, It's always, you know, and and you you can't always quantify that. But yeah, you've got to kind of give it a try. And really talking to one another and saying, okay, have you tried this? How has it worked for you? What have you found to be the pitfalls? What have you found to be the advantages? I think people are very anxious to help each other, but I think you've got to ask for the help too and say, you know what? Okay, let's have a discussion here of what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Be honest about it, you know. And be specific about your purpose, what exactly your goals are. Because I see this a lot with kind of pivoting to craft just for a second. I see that a lot in writers groups where people say, give me your feedback on this piece, but they don't say what exactly they're looking for. So you might have one critiquer correcting all the grammar and another critiquer just saying this, you know, this doesn't work for me. I don't like this character or I don't know what's happening. And it's like the third chapter of a book and they are missing a lot of context. So stuff like that, let's say you're, you say, I, I want to learn how to use Zoom, but why, you know, what is your end goal with that 
what do you see that looking like? Just because we're in the virtual space, it doesn't mean we're going to just throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. We're going to be intentional about what we're doing. Yep. So, and that sometimes learning one new technology and, and doing it very well is different than trying to learn 10 of the new technologies that everyone is right. is learning at the moment. At least I found that. It's, even with social media, is that for me, it's been better to just pick one and do it well. Right. You do it. Yeah, Jackie's really good on Twitter. But, you know, that's actually an excellent point because I am just, I'm not a Twitter person. I've tried it. I wish I was better at it. It's just, it's not the way I think. I am better on Facebook. Brian, conversely, much better on Twitter, much better on Instagram. So we said, you know what? Let's not be duplicating each other's efforts. I'm going to focus more on Facebook. He's going to focus more on Twitter. And that's exactly what you want to do is it's kind of a divide and conquer, you know, idea that you don't have to be doing everything. Just pick a few things that you can do and do them well. And you'll probably get better results that way. Yeah, I'm pretty bad at Instagram and I haven't really made a conscious effort to do it. It's mostly just my kid pictures of my kids and (laughs) animals and selfies you know kind of basic stuff so I don't really publicize that I even have an Instagram a whole lot I find with Instagram I forget it exists for like three weeks at a time and then I'll post 10 things in a row and then forget it exists again that happens to me too even with all this social media checking going on right now I forgot about Instagram then the other day I thought oh I should look on there And I think too, think about like what you're good at outside of technology. Like I have a friend who writes um, horror short stories, but he's also just incredibly good at at putting on a costume and delivering for book readings. And so for him to connect with his writers, he might like to do some kind of YouTube where he's doing readings, whereas other people yeah. might like to just engage in a conversation and connect in a different way with their readers right now. And my understanding is that YouTube is huge. I mean, we've got a good friend who's constantly talking about the things that he sees on YouTube, you know, all of the demonstration videos for virtually anything you purchase. You can find, you know, an online manual, somebody demonstrating how to use it or whatever. And I mean, honestly, we haven't gotten into that more because, again, you can only do so much. But wow, YouTube has been absolutely huge. So, yeah, it, it, it is amazing the number of tools out there. But yeah, figuring out which ones work best for you. It's funny that you should mention, you know, I think one of the things that that we hear from people is that they like hearing about the personal stuff as well as the pro- the, the professional stuff. Um, you know, it's like when you talk about, oh, you know, I, I always put stuff about my kids out there. and But you know what? Everybody's got kids. Well, not everybody's got kids, but you know, <laughs> a lot of people have kids. So they like the idea that they can relate to you as a parent as well. And so I, I often encourage people, don't shy away from that entirely. Let people know you're human and, you know, don't just fire off, you know, short little blurbs. Tell a little bit of a story if you can, because people love hearing that, you know, and they, they, they like knowing that, yeah, you know what, you're going through the struggles now too, trying to figure out how do I reach my readers? How do I engage with my library patrons? Because everybody's trying to figure that part out right now. That's so right. true. And I think that they say that a lot on marketing advice, but despite being in the library for 22 years and despite having to market my own writing, I still have not quite mastered marketing, but they do talk a lot about being yourself Yes, on your social media. At least if you need to set a boundary around that, I wouldn't suggest laying it all out there for everyone to see. You know, that's absolutely right, is you have to set your own personal boundary and, and get comfortable with it because, yes, there are a lot of, you know, strange situations that can come out of uh, sharing too much. So you want to have enough that people have a sense that they know you, but not so much that you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position. And I know we all hate to think about that kind of thing, but we do have to be very careful about that. And Mm -hmm. so setting a boundary is very good and knowing what you will share and what you will not 
share and people respect it. We, we find that that's great, but yeah, it, and it's going to be different for everybody. I'm, I'm a big cat person, so you can get online and you can find a lot about my cats, but maybe, <laughs> maybe not a whole lot else, you know? So, yeah. And again, people do love that. And I think when it becomes 90% marketing, then people are going to quickly tune out. Exactly. Um, you know, they're not going to want to be following someone who's just putting link after link after link. And we were discussing that for the library too, because we're trying to curate that content now for those social media channels. And people are online more, so they are engaging more. But we've always had this conversation as to how much library content and how much other content. So this is really forcing us to be critical about that. So that's been interesting with a team of 20 different people contributing to the social media feed and everyone wanting to promote their own things. It's finding that balance. And as you mentioned about YouTube, we've got all of our virtual story times on there. So we're needing to make sure those links get through. We had someone just post today do you have any virtual story times? And we've been posting them every day for the last five days. So, and I'm not saying it's her fault that she didn't see them. It's just there's so much content that it just didn't get through. So I'm so glad that I was able to go on there and post the link. Like you were saying, it's just a lot to think about. Well, you know, you're bringing up a really, really good point, And that is that people are being bombarded with information in so mm-hmm. many different ways and constantly i mean it's a this 24/7 kind of a situation these days i mean the news channels are the perfect example i mean constantly you can turn on cnn or fox or msnbc whatever and it's 24/7 and it's information overload and the hard part is getting people to to hear your message when it's Mm -hmm. mixed in with all of this. I can't tell you the number of times that, um, you know, we'll, we'll do, you know, publicity for an event and, you know, I mean, it's emails and it's Facebook posts and Twitter, and there'll be something in the local newspaper and on the local TV station and the library will have posters on it and, you know, so on and so forth. And invariably the next morning, someone will write to, to Brian and say, you were there last night. I didn't know that. And yeah. we're like, okay, how much more can we do to get your attention? And it's really hard because there, as I say, there is so much out there that people just tune it out after a while and they don't even hear it anymore. That's so true. We get that all the time. And then my staff, it's just so funny. You can tell the folks who've been around for a while from the folks who are new, because if it's somebody's first program, they'll be just so devastated that someone said to them, I didn't know about this. The next yeah. day. And then the others are just like, you know, it happens. Mm-hmm. You just kind of get used to it. But it is frustrating, especially when you think about the fire hose of things coming at you. That's a great description. <laughs> Because it is it is that blast of constant information. Yeah. And so then how do you tailor your message in a way that doesn't just feel like an advertisement that you can scroll past right. is really the trick. Yeah. And it's difficult. You know, I'll post links to my book or whatever. And then the other day I was like, I have to run to the post office tomorrow. And it's the only time I'm going out this week. Does anyone want a signed copy? And I and three people messaged me. Oh, that's true. But that's great. And so it's like those things are so much better for sales than here's the latest graphic I made about my novel that I'm posting for the third time today. Right. I love that. That's wonderful. That's absolutely true. But it's that little piece. It's like, wow, look, Jackie goes to the post office too. Okay. You know, I mean... <laughs> Right. Exactly, you know, but uh, but but it is it's it's very very difficult to to get people's attention, and we laugh about it and say, you know, short of coming to your house, ringing your doorbell, and saying we're here to pick you up to take you to this event, you know, mm-hmm. what do you do? It's really hard, and you know, you can only do so much to get people's attention, and yeah, yeah, it- and a lot of it's just that relationship building. So you know that even if they miss one event of yours, they're still going to check in to see what you're doing. Right. A couple months from now, like there's definitely authors where every few months I just check. 
to see if they have something new out or something new going on and yep and so yeah i i think that is that's really important that's why newsletters are good you know and the catch is you've got to get your newsletter out far in advance of you know anything happening so that right. you have a chance to reinforce that because it really does take that reinforcement another thing i'm always surprised at is some places even though they'll do events and and the events are free to the public they will have sign up sheets and there is something about putting your name on a list even if you don't have to pay for it that somehow puts it into your subconscious to get you to remember to go. We do that at my library and we have found it becomes very maddening for on our side of things because a lot of people sign up and then just don't come. Oh really? So we can't really use the sign up as a gauge. Okay. But I agree that it does kind of cement it. People come up to the desk and they're writing it in their calendar. So that's why we continue to do it, even though, it's never accurate. And here come my children. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk for a minute, Marsha. Let's veer off of the coronavirus okay. for a minute okay, until okay. Carrie gets back. <laughs> um, we're fortunate to have you on here. A lot of our listeners are indie authors. Yep. Um, or first time authors. And it, it sounds like you and Brian have managed to make it so that his author career is all that he's doing now and all that you're doing. Yep. Yep. And so do you want to talk about your story a little bit to get there and uh, what that's looked like for you? Sure. (laughs) Brian, I'll start out by saying Brian has basically always wanted to support us as an author. So Mm -hmm. way back when he was in junior high school, he just, he had a love of writing. He had a teacher who was absolutely wonderful and uh, recognized his love of writing and did something that in this day and age would probably never be accepted. And that is, she said to him, you know what, when you come to my class, don't worry about doing the assignments, just sit and write your stories. Wow. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And so he just kept writing and kept writing and kept writing. And we met in college. You know, he he talks proudly about the days when he would tell me that, oh, yes, someday I will uh, support us as an author. And, you know, reality, of course, always sinks in. So um, he he worked in a variety of different jobs, but always kept writing in his spare time and evenings, weekends. And then he always kind of kept an eye on, okay, what's kind of going on in the industry? And, you know, he would send out queries and, you know, they would come back and, you know, you could tell nobody had even looked at them. They basically took it out of the envelope and put it in the return envelope and sent it back to to him. And so at one point in time, he, he was working at a, at a job in Minneapolis at a law firm, an international law firm. And one of the uh, partners in, in fact, the London office was going to be going to a, um, a school reunion. And one of London's top literary agents was one of his classmates. And, wow. and so he happened to ask the the attorney, would you do an intro for me? And so the the gentleman said yes. And so he passed along a manuscript to uh, this woman. And she said, yep, she would take a look at it, you know, eventually did and and, and read it very quickly, was hooked on it and got back to him and said, yes, I want to represent you. And so, you know, he hooked up with her. And as it turned out, she also had um, a good friend in the New York publishing industry. And so the two of them worked together to get these international deals going for Brian and Immoral was um, selected by International Book of the Month, I think is what they called it in those days, by book clubs all around the world. And basically, they were selling all the rights to the Jonathan Stride series. And so, yeah, so we've kept going. In fact, we're, we're coming up on the 15-year anniversary of when Brian quit his day job. Aww, congratulations and happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. We, we joke about the fact that he picked a very auspicious day to do it. It happened to be April Fool's Day, um, <laughs> 2005. But yeah, so um, so over time, you know, we've weathered the the various changes in the publishing business. Way back when, as I said, you know, social media barely existed. 
Uh, the birth of ebooks had just happened. Um, I'm not even sure if there was really a market for audiobooks yet, but these things have just exploded in the 15 years since mm-hmm. since Brian first started publishing. And it's it's been a challenge. I will be honest. You've got to keep on top of things. You can't rewrite the same book every time. You've got to be coming up with new and different ways to 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 reach people. You've got to be thinking about, okay, how can I open up new markets? Um, and that's why Brian's um, done audiobooks. His audiobook, The Deep, Deep Snow, um, was an audiobook exclusive for the first six months of its release. You know, and, and I think that's one of the things that we've noticed and and really worked hard to do is to really recognize that there are different segments of the market. And it's great if you can conquer all of them, but I think, you know, concentrate on one breakthrough, then work on another, then work on another. Because again, you can spread yourself so thin that you're not making any inroads anywhere. Right. Um, That's so true. You know, and so, you know, Brian's got a very, you know, um, healthy print uh, market, uh, very healthy ebook market, very healthy audiobook market. And the, the, the interesting thing, this was the, I think the most interesting thing of all was everybody said when ebooks came, you know, really took off that, oh my gosh, that's the end of print books. And the reality of it is that's not what's happened. I mean, yes, ebooks are popular, but what we have found is it's not an either or. People are doing both. Right. And, you know, we travel a lot and we have a lot of friends who travel a lot for work and vacations, of course. And people don't want to lug a ton of books around with them. So they'll take ebooks with them. But they'll also say, you know what? When I'm home, I love to curl up with a physical book in front of the fireplace with a glass of wine, whatever. So it's really not either or. They're doing both. And I think that's a really key distinction to be aware of, you know, and that's why, I mean, I, I think that's what's kept a lot of the booksellers um, in business is people still want those physical books. Yeah, I can definitely speak to that with statistics from the library. Our print circulation has not changed a whole lot since ebooks, since the rise of ebooks, although people are downloading ebooks from our library collections and they're doing so in a large number. But our print has not really moved. What we have lost circulation on is DVDs and music. Those are the things mm. people are streaming instead of coming in to borrow. But people are still borrowing print. They're borrowing audiobooks because audiobooks are expensive. And they are borrowing the ebooks and the audiobooks as well. So it's interesting that kind of our segment, we used to lend a lot of DVDs. DVDs used to be the lion's share of our circulation. And that's that's not happening so much anymore. Well, this is a good time, Carrie, to talk about um, what kind of resources are still available through either what you know about your local library system or libraries, national libraries in general during this entire shutdown. Oh, yeah. I'm. People are... So I have been checking those statistics too because I'm a data nerd and I have to know. So there's a couple different ways that people can access ebooks through public libraries. I am a public librarian, so anything I say is going to be colored with that context. There may be other resources I'm not aware of for academia. But for readers and those who use their public libraries, most libraries have a subscription to one or two of the big kind of intermediaries. Overdrive is the biggest one. Overdrive does also have an app called Libby. It's the same collection, but it is just two different ways to access the collection. And Overdrive is actually based here in Cleveland. So I not I know a lot of folks who work for them and it's a great company. And the other one is Hoopla. That's based in Holland, Ohio, which is near Toledo. Also a place I have visited. Love the staff there. Both of those companies are absolutely fabulous. So I highly recommend So if you have a library card, a lot of libraries are issuing e-cards with just a phone number so that you can just verify that in Ohio, you can be a resident 
as long as you're a resident of Ohio, you can get a library card for any Ohio library because we are state funded. So that is one great thing about Ohio is that you can get cards from all of these different libraries and then have several different collections to choose from to check out your items. So there's a lot of avenues for getting your ebooks. So as we talked about print books, I'm, you know, the jury's out yet on when we're going to get back to that. But ebooks at least were covered. And Carrie, can I just ask, are all libraries physically closed right now in your area? In my area, yes. But everyone, the governor has not yet issued an order beyond April 6th. Okay. So different libraries are making different decisions. So some libraries are set to reopen on April 6th and some libraries are saying they are closed indefinitely. So and so when they when they're closed though, that means that staff is not physically there, is that correct? That also varies when okay. we first closed, my director was asking staff to come in. Okay. But then when the governor issued the stay at home order for the state of Ohio, then we all started staying home. I have seen many just on Twitter and library groups on Facebook, a lot of librarians, it's varying all over the country and of course, all over the world. I actually taught a webinar for a ridiculous number of people. I've never taught a webinar to that many people (laughs) before it was there were 8,500 great and 2,500 attended the live. Wow. So did you put on pants? I did have (laughs) pants on. I did, but I didn't know that there were that many people registered until about 20 minutes before the webinar. Wow. And at that point we had had 7,000 signed up. So we, it was a mini conference. So within the four and a half hours that we were on live talking, 1,500 more people had registered. Whoa. That's amazing. <laughs> so we are, it's crazy. It's through Library 2.0, which is an organization that provides e-content to libraries and PCI webinars, which is a webinar company that I have been freelancing for for a number of years. So that was that was interesting. So I did hear from a lot of libraries on that call and it's it runs the gamut just depending on the state. So but here in Ohio, we're just going to see our governor, Mike DeWine, gives a press conference every day at two o'clock. Yep. So you might have seen hashtag wine with DeWine. (laughs) (laughs) That's our every day. Every day, drink and and check it out. So today he said that the schools would be closed till May 1st. So we're expecting a stay at home order to be lengthened. And in that case, the libraries will remain closed. But there is, you know, as I said, the ebooks and there's also a lot of things just through social media that you can hear about that your library is doing. We're doing just a lot of really creative things. I am going to be working on a stay at home and read book club. What a great idea. And that will be allow people to track their reading. We have an online product called Beanstack, which I love, where people can track their reading outside of Goodreads. So if they just want to keep it to themselves and they can also get prizes for tracking their reading. And then there's also a children's component. So children during this time when everybody's stuck homeschooling and online schooling, they can keep track of their reading and get excited about it too. So lots of great great. ways to interact with your libraries right now. Are are there like particular websites that you recommend people go to, to find out, you know, what kind of services the libraries are able to offer, or is that going to vary state by state as well? It is. It's very particular to the state. I have, seen so many great things that Ohio libraries are doing and there are other libraries doing things too but because I'm in the Ohio community that's mostly what I'm seeing we have a regional library system called uh, Northeast Ohio Regional Library System and they have they're kind of like a cooperative continuing education they're governed by a board which is made up of library professionals around and they get state funding and they're wonderful and they're providing a curated list of a lot of different resources that libraries are using so i can definitely 
drop that link into the show notes for all of you. And the other cool thing they're doing, it's not really for users, it's more for the librarians, but they're doing Zoom chats so that we can all get online and talk about what we're doing and how we're, how we're handling it. So I think nice. that's really yeah. I think that's so important right now. I've been doing like a four o'clock happy hour a couple times a week just with different groups of friends. And it's been such a lifesaver. <laughs> Honestly, it really is, you know, to just realize that you're not alone and mm-hmm. everybody is facing the same kind of challenges. And, you know, again, it's it's nice to have that camaraderie and, and you can share the horror stories and you can share the successes and it's just a slightly different way of doing it, you know? Yeah, but definitely. So we talked about some ways to engage virtually with uh, readership. Is there anything either of you would suggest for authors to do to prepare for when the doors finally open, like that they could be using this time for, for instance, is there a way for authors to do some of the legwork now to connect with their state libraries later or um, set up events for the future? You know, I mean, for us, it's it's really a situation of just getting ready to get back in touch with the libraries that we already have to reschedule with. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've got a pretty good list of, you know, 25 that we need to get right back in touch with. So for us, I don't know that our situation is necessarily going to be the norm. What I would say, though, is particularly, you know, if an author has a book that's going to be coming out in say the next six to nine months, start coming up with a list of places that you would like to make an appearance. And maybe if you've got um, ARCs or, um, you know, access to NetGalley, see if you can get some galleys into people's hands so that so that, you know, the the places at least know who you are so that then you can follow up with them and say, hey, you know what? I've got a book coming out. I'm going to be in your area in X number of months or whenever so that you're not just starting from ground zero on the day those the doors open kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I guess that would be my suggestion is just kind of start uh, getting in touch with people everybody's in the same boat. So they recognize that. And they know that once the doors open at the libraries, at the bookstores, that, you know, they're going to have to start trying to get people into the stores and into the libraries. How do you do that? Have some of your programs already kind of started. So I guess now would be a good time to do some outreach, Uh, just personal one-on-one. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I would tag on to that by saying that Right now, like you said, we're all in the same boat. So a lot of librarians are worrying a little bit about when they will be able to put events on again. So I think that when you reach out, don't ask to re don't ask to schedule anything right now. Um, just kind of put it out there and say, hey, I'm scoping things out. I've got some time on my hands. Here's maybe a a free arc or here's a a zoom video of me reading some of my book or i'm willing to do a skype call with one of your book groups just some different things that you could give librarians now without giving them the pressure of having to schedule something because i'm already feeling the pressure just from the people who we're having to reschedule right yep so i can't even think about brand new programming right now so but i would if an author reached out to me just with, hey, how can I help you during this difficult time? I would be like, yeah, please help me. Right. (laughs) Something from my Facebook page or for my website that we can do virtually, that we can help engage the public and just to help me get through this, you know, this crazy time. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's absolutely key. What you say is, you know, I mean, it's, it's a partnership. You're not in it alone. The author is not in it alone. I mean, working together, that's going to, that's going to prove successful in the long run and just kind of doing a touch bases, you know, Hey, you know, how you doing? Any idea, you know, like you say, you know, maybe early May. Well, how about if I plan to touch bases with you in early May and we'll kind of see, you can see where you are. I can see where I am. And, you know, is it time where we start to talk about way down the road or, you know what, is it just like, okay, we've done our touch bases. Let's talk again 
beginning of June. Let's talk mm-hmm. again, beginning of July. And granted, we all hope that it doesn't go out that long. But I think, you know what, if we just all recognize that, you know what, we're all trying to figure this out. And let's just kind of keep in touch periodically, touch bases. And yeah, it's a great idea if you can, you know, encourage an author to, you know, put something on your Facebook page or something for your 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 library newsletter. Yeah, just to kind of keep in touch and, and keep people feeling involved and engaged such that when you are able to create your new new programs and get them on the schedule, you know, it's it's not like you're starting from scratch. You've already got those relationships starting. Exactly. And just one more quick thing to mention is that because the barrier to entry is so low right now for different virtual things, if you have internet and you have access, then there are a lot of things that are opening up to you, opportunities. And I say that both to readers, writers, and librarians, any book person that's listening to this. I sat in the um, Murder and Mayhem Chicago live live stream a couple weeks ago. I would not have had the opportunity to do that if it was me having to drive to Chicago. So that was a really cool opportunity. And I think that's another way that we can all help each other. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's a really good point is, you know, the playing field right now is pretty level in that none of us can drive to X, Y, or Z place. So we're all just trying to figure out how to stay in touch with each other. And that that is just great to be able to do that. Well, thank you both so much. I feel like this was a really informative episode. Yeah, for yep. sure. Thanks. We appreciate you being here, Marcia. Do you want to take a minute and tell everyone where to find you and Brian and how to stay yep. in touch? Yep, absolutely. Um, Brian's website is bfreemanbooks.com. So B is in Brian. So bfreemanbooks.com. He's got a Facebook page, Brian Freeman, of course. And I am the author's wife at Facebook. My um, email, <laughs> super easy, the author's wife at hotmail.com. So check out both of our web pages, our um, Facebook pages, sorry. And, you know, we try to write back to everybody who writes to us. All of Brian's books are available in print version, e-version, and audio version. He's got a lot of exciting stuff going on. A number of people uh, probably already know this, but in addition to the Jonathan Stride and Frost Easton books uh, that he's uh, putting out this summer. Um, His first book where he is taking over the writing of the Robert Ludlum books, the Jason Bourne books. Oh, wow. Is, um, yep. Wow, that's cool. Uh, It's, I want to say it's July 27th or 28th, The Bourne Evolution will be come, coming out. And uh, so the he's, he's really excited about that. Jonathan Stride returns in September. You know, he's just got a lot of stuff cooking. So that's worth, worth taking a look at. Yeah, I think that probably is the best way to reach us. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Writing Block Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook or at writingblock.com, no K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.